Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome to episode number 40. Nick, that's only 10 away from the big 50. Um, Mm -hmm. How's it going, man? Dude, it's going pretty good. That's actually the first time that I've heard our intro kind of sped up. I'm having a little laggy internet problems on my <laughs> side, so hopefully hopefully they won't continue, but it was kind of cool. The beat of the song was a little faster, but no, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a good week. Awesome. Um, so I'm pretty sure we both got in a, a tournament experience this past week, and go ahead and tell me about yours. So I played a one-round C-tier flex start over at a course about 15-ish minutes from where I live. And I was able to take it down. I shot a 43 on, it should be a par 54. They call it a par 56, but it's a par 54. So I shot 13 down technically, which was 1037 rated. So I made 90 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the pro status there. Yeah. Did you happen yep. to see um, what I got to do this past weekend? Yeah, you got to play one of my most memorable tournaments at... The worst time of the year is what it well, seemed like, actually. Well, here, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and put it up uh, so people can enjoy a little bit while we talk through the background here. Um, so for those yeah. listening on audio, there's a full-blown, like, nor'easter, also known as a blizzard here. This is Maple Hill you're looking at. Um, this was Friday's round. It was kind of unexpected. It's not typical that you get this much snow. And here's the Sunday round, which, look at that. The major difference between both rounds. Now you're seeing grass and green everywhere and actually people wearing shorts. <laughs> so that's uh, insane. It was a very, very big difference between the two. Long story short, I shot like a 990 rated first round in that snow. Mm-hmm. And then I went second round shot like a 978, which is well above my average. And then mm-hmm. I was able to shoot under my rating on the last day. Nick Golds at Maple Hill is tough. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, it most definitely is. I mean, I think what two players out of the 140 players finished under par under the gold layout. So it's difficult. No doubt. I shot five over the year that I won it. Okay. Well, that, I mean, I tried hard, Nick. I, the, the, just to wrap up the kind of tournament experience, I placed top 20 or 20th out of 160 AMs. That's, I was pretty ecstatic about that. Uh, that's good for me, but I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Woods golf is different. Maple Hill Golds is a mixture of both. You have to be able to throw really far in open spots and clear water and all that. Um, my arm is probably throws about 350 and on a really good, good best crank I can have, maybe t- tapping near 400. But like, that's a big disadvantage to the players who can throw 400, 450 or 500. So anyways, oh, yeah. that was my tournament experience that I wouldn't say that's the highest I've ever finished at this event. I think I had one other time where I had my best, you know, rating ever. But that was, I felt most solid with that one. So congrats to both of us. So I think that means, Nick, is it time? It's time. I know what you're going to say, and it's time. <laughs> We're calling out the Bogey Bros. And I refer to them that way. That's uh, our, our, our brother podcast on Foundation Disc Golf Network. We're calling out Hunter and Trevor to a doubles competition. Nick, what do you think? Who, who would take that down, us or them? Us. Yeah, us. Like. Easily? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, we, we take it down. I, th- I think it'd be fun to somehow, you know, get one match down here in Virginia. We'll play a neutral course that sure. sets up well for all of us. 
And then a course in Massachusetts. Obviously, we'll figure out a course that fits well for everyone. And then we just find some random state <laughs> and do, you know, best out of three kind of style. Wow. We've got but to won't build take, this it up. It won't take three matches, Matt. Don't worry. Got to build this up. Big media. We need, literally, we need to make this big. Uh, wages, betting. Yep. Like, Vegas needs to get involved. I put $500 down on it right now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, okay, we're calling them out. We're going to listen to their next show and see if they've actually respond. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, that being said, check out the hat Nick's wearing. Um, Nick and Matt show hat. It's removed our characters so you don't have to feel that weird about wearing it. <laughs> but uh, Nick yeah, and Matt right. on the website now. It's actually on mm -hmm. foundationdisc.com. And Nick, you can punch in foundationdiscgolf.com and it still goes there. But foundationdisc.com. Oh, cool. um, there are white versions of that hat the black version. And then there's like this uh, bluish version. Go check them out. Yeah. And Nick, what do we have for someone? If uh, what's, what's the little contest we have on the hats. So for whoever purchases a hat, if you see Matt or myself, so whether you're in Massachusetts, Virginia, I'll be up in Massachusetts in a few weeks, whether you see one of us wearing the Nick and Matt show hat, you can go on the foundation disc golf website, pick out a disc you want, send it to me. And I will personally get that disc for you and then send it to wherever you are. What so, a guy. Pretty much whoever whoever shows us that they are wearing the hat in person, it's got to be in person, um, you can get a disc from Foundation <laughs> Disc Golf. I'll personally get it for you. And I say this at the end of every show, Nick, you're awesome. That's cool. Try my best. All right. And then uh, tonight's show lineup is Adam Hammes and, uh, mm -hmm. and Missy Gannon. Uh, totally cool interviews we're gonna we're about to have. Um, we don't mm -hmm. actually have much time, Nick, to recap this, but let's, let's recap. Um, because we're getting to... I don't know. Let's go ahead and just give a, a recap here on the MPO. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll start with the winner here and then um, we'll just kind of go back and forth with that. Ricky Wysocki. Mm -hmm. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm, I'm being nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm being nice. Uh, Ricky Wysocki, first place at Jonesboro Open. This was an event that I said was going to be important on the calendar for a specific uh, handful of players. Ricky Wysocki stepping up showing his dominant self here once again, 13 under par first round, Nick, 11 under par yeah. second round, 11 under par. Those were averaging 1,069, an average 1,069. It tells you he's playing at a very high level over the last yeah, 19 think, rounds. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say someone had posted, I think it's a Twitter account called Disc Golf Stats or something like that. And they posted that in his last like six tournaments, he's been averaging over 1065 rated golf. But if you're saying it's 1069, well, oh, here we go. Here you we go. The last four events averaging 1062. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, I kind of did a lot of math today, <laughs> but here's the deal. Yeah. All, his full season average, his full season average is 1,057. That's high, higher than he is rated. That's um, highest rating in a <laughs> Eagle wasn't even that high uh, as far as like player rating. So, we're going to see if he gets there. But yeah, last four events, if you just count those, it's averaging 1,062. That's extremely high. Uh, That's four, and then you've, if you average out his finishes at these elite series events, uh, fourth place finish is his average over six events. That's it's pretty high level. That's crazy storyline yeah. here that I'm thinking is if, really good. If, if Ricky's playing his best, Nick, can anyone touch him the rest of the year? Honestly, the way Ricky's playing right now, he's just consistent with the backhand, the forehand, and the putting stroke looks really good right now. Um, he is. 
right now I would say he's unbeatable and that's not, I shouldn't say unbeatable because everyone gets beat every so often, but he's definitely playing the best out of everyone this year and will consistently probably do that the whole year. Right. And so I guess my question is if he plays his best, like he is, mm-hmm. is there someone who can beat him when Paul plays his best? Can he beat what Ricky's best is right now? And that's, I think, I think when, yeah, <laughs> if ahead. they're both playing their absolute best, I think Paul does take it down. Oh man. But that's literally both of them playing their absolute best. Yeah, I I mean I just I personally think Paul, you know, obviously we consider him one of the greatest of all time players. And so I think when you do put them both playing their greatest round, Paul does have the edge in that. He has the advantage. But Ricky's right there. I mean, there's no doubt. And I think right now Ricky is going to play his best right now more often hmm. than any other player on tour is at the moment. We're, we'll talk so about that. He's playing a lot better. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of that interesting stuff later. But in just in general, he's playing very well. Uh, tell us about Calvin at this event, Nick. So Calvin, second place, 13 under par first round. Uh, was tied for the lead, obviously, after the first round. And then shot 10 under par, which was 1058 rated. And then a lackluster 8 under par, 1042 <laughs> rated. So you say that, he still gets second place, averaging 1060 rated golf. But let's see, over the last 19 rounds, which is the whole season so far, he's averaging 1052 which at the moment is above his player rating. Same thing by two points. The last four events averaging 1052 and he's averaging just a little better than third place so far this year. So Calvin, a name that we're talking about at this point every single week. And you said he wasn't going to get a win all year. So. <laughs> no. Okay. You rub that in my face. We're going to, we're definitely going to have Sarah Hogan back on just so you can tell her that you picked her not to win because yeah, you yeah. chickened out on that one. All right. <laughs> I'm just, we're now we're just razzing each other. So here's the interesting thing. Calvin, it was such a bad hot take. It was a stupid hot take. Like I, I was, it was very, it was very skip Bayless. It was, it, yeah, it was just, there was no reason for it. Anyways, he's averaging and, and it's, it is what it is now. He's averaging, um, the best finishes out of anybody on tour, even Ricky. He's averaging a little better. Like when I did the math, it's 2.8. That's like his, that's his average finish this year at six events. That's incredible. Um, so yeah. here's an interesting thing though. Why isn't he winning more like Ricky, right? He has a higher average finish. I saw an interesting interview with Smashbox this week where he literally said, um, he's just content getting in the practice with the putts that come during a practice round. Um, He said he's not spending time on the putting green. And he also said he hasn't put together a good full round like Mm -hmm. tournament yet. Um, And he said it's his putting that he feels like is off. But then he says in that interview that he's not spending time on the putting green because he's just taking the practice rounds as they come. Like, is he not taking it seriously enough? And that's a whole nother topic we'll talk about later. But what do you have? Well, I was going to say, definitely watching Jonesboro's coverage this week. His putter was definitely, I should say, the worst I've ever seen it. I mean, obviously, he's still a phenomenal putter, but he wasn't putting that great this weekend from what I saw. And that obviously cost him. I think within the first two holes, he could have gone birdie-birdie, ended up going par-par, and had he nailed both of those, he's tied for the lead or even has a one-stroke advantage in the lead, starting right off the bat in the final round. So it's kind of hard to tell whether, you know, whether we think he's being lazy with it because some people just practice differently. And obviously Calvin's such a phenomenal player that his practice up to this point has obviously gotten him very far in the sport. He's an incredible player. So I wouldn't say, you know, Calvin, you had to go spend an hour a day practicing, putting and everything like that. Honestly, just a bad weekend. I think. Yeah. But let me ask you. And again, this is a topic for later, so let's not get too deep into it. 
so let me just let me just send this out there, maybe with no response, and we'll just move on. But yeah, is is Paul practicing his putts outside of a practice round? Is Ricky practicing his putts outside of a practice round? Are they taking it seriously enough? Um, are other players? I it was just a little bit shocking to hear Calvin say that. Um, that's that's all. All right, uh, Eagle McMahon, yeah. third place. Mm-hmm. He. I, I wouldn't say he's back. I mean, he's back as good as he is. But after we saw LVC, we thought maybe we'd see a lot more of this. So to see third is like, ooh, we're happy. Eagle's back. Like, it's a little surprising. But 10 under par, 8 under par, 10 under par, um, mm-hmm. 28 under par, averaged 1,052 rated golf. That's pretty much his rating right now. It's a little just, better yep, than his rating. Just a little over. So yep. I, I just feel like if there's any storyline here, obviously we know that he can still compete. But is he the dominant force we thought he was after LVC, the very first event of the year? What do you think? I mean, is it kind of like maybe this is the eagle we're going to get from here on out? It's just average, top five, top well, 10. Yeah, so there was obviously talks a few weeks back about some injury that he has going on. I don't know if it's with his back or his hips or whatever, but he's got something going on to where he's not carrying a bag. He's actually using, I think, a Zuka cart at the moment. And... um I think he also, so he has that injury lingering, which is obviously super frustrating because when you have an injury, you're obviously not going to play the best that you can play. And with that comes the frustrations and kind of like the mental lapses in judgment, whether it's disc selection or even just getting angry on the course. Like there's, you know, a moment that I saw where, you know, I don't know what the cart did to him, but he went and kicked his cart over after throwing OB on a hole. <laughs> I think about it. I just laugh right now because it's actually kind of <laughs> kind of a funny moment. But uh, you can definitely tell he's frustrated with how he's playing. He's frustrated with decisions that he's making on the course. And uh, I don't want to say this is what we're going to see out of him the whole year. But if there is a lingering injury and he doesn't take the time off that he needs to, then, yeah, potentially we're going to see a top five, top six eagle contending at every single event, but just not pushing for the win. If the injury stays, those uh, disc mania boys, Simon and Eagle, they need to they need to take that time to heal. Uh, Eagle and Eagle and Simon talk regularly. I'm sure they've had conversations about that. All right, moving on. Finally, right. they, they got they got Casey covering them right now. He's doing great. <laughs> we'll so. talk about Casey later. Um, moving into a notable finish, and I say notable because this is one of the names that I kept saying was important to see at Jonesboro. What would happen here? There was a couple names. It was Kevin Jones. It was Eagle. It was Paige Pierce. Uh, honestly, it was Paul Macbeth. Um, those were kind of my top four that I said, let's watch what happens at Jonesboro. Well, good job, Kevin Jones. Uh, you got a fourth place finish. This is his best finish yet at a pro tour or an NT fourth place mm-hmm storyline here Nick is this a glimmer of hope (laughs) and I say glimmer because he knows he said this in a press conference the DGPT press conference that his timing is off and when he fixed and worked on his timing his putting was off uh so he's saying they're not coming together I'm not sure what changed for him between last year and this year but he is saying I'm not saying it's a made-up excuse but it's it's he has an excuse for why he has a reason for why Um, he says he's working on it and he feels like, and this is any good pro athlete would say this, that he feels like he's in the mix every single week where he could, he could win it. Um, he has the ability to do it. Um, but is this a glimmer of hope for the rest of the season? What do you think about this fourth place finish for him? 
I think it's obviously a step in the right direction. I think mentality-wise, it's going to be a big boost for him. Uh, he was able to shoot tied for the hot round, the final round, push his way up there into the fourth place. So, yeah, I think obviously he knows he can compete with everyone out on the tour. And, yeah, I think this was a little bit of a glimmer of hope for him and the sense of he he can still go out there and compete once he fixes everything, once he gets the timing down with his putt and his drives, his forehands, whatever. He'll be back up top. All right. Um, we have a short amount of time here, Nick. So we're going to condense it a little bit, but we're going to bring some of these topics up after our interview with Missy. But let's get right to it. Katrina Allen uh, averaging 1,007. We bring the average ratings in here because it's important to show their play level at an event because uh, we don't fully understand how easy or hard a course can play. The number helps us. 1,007. She shot as hot as 1,041. That's incredible. That's insane. Yeah. Um, and. So congrats to her dominant. In fact, just that um, that round two was just incredible. She's been averaging this season alone, 973 over all of her rounds, 973. Nick, that's getting very close to what Paige Pierce is averaged as like a player rating right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to come up. Do we feel like she could be the next highest rated player? Can she surpass Paige this year? That's definitely a storyline to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, in her post-round interview, she talks about like ice baths or ice showers or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where she says she's training her mind to stay quiet. That's obviously been a, uh, something for her. Mental game is huge. We're going to talk about that later. We've got a lot of topics lined up later. Yeah. But congrats to her with that win. Nick, what did you see important uh, from Paige Pierce this weekend? From Paige Pierce, obviously coming back um in shooting what second place so seven under par 994 first round one under par 952 second round 1009 last round so averaging 985 it's obviously incredible golf that is above her rating at the moment um kind of started out the season really hot obviously kind of slowed down a little bit she's averaging 965 over the full season so far and um that's right where her competitors, Katrina, Haley, Sarah, and a couple others are right at that 960-ish area. So competition's obviously getting a little more condensed in the FBO. We've talked about it. I talked about it with the foundation guys on the little uh, recap thing that we did. And, I mean, FBO, you can't tell who's going to win a tournament right now. But to be honest with Katrina, if she's putting the way that she is right now, she's going to dominate the FBO division. Yeah, uh, it's... <sighs> Paige Pierce has been a topic this whole year. I don't want to be a broken record because we aren't going to just talk constantly about, oh, what's up with Paige Pierce? What's going on with Paige? Like, I don't want to say it gets old when news starts to develop beyond just the wondering. But let me me put this out here. Storyline, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, She's recently made a social post, another social post that I thought was intriguing. Says she's trying to find and remember the reason And here it is, quote unquote, she fell in love with the sport in the first place, which tells me, and I'm speculating here, Nick, tells me that she's burnt out. She burned out, whether it was the off season, she, I don't want to say she got sick of winning because who does that? But like, Mm -hmm. it was this level where it's like, why do I have this drive? Do, why am I doing this? All of this work. It's kind of like Nick, I used to do photography for seven years. It was originally a hobby. I did it. I was like, I can make money out of this. And then I burnt out. I was like, I don't like photography anymore because it turned into work. Do you think there's any relation to that here, Nick? I think definitely. I mean, 
I think one of the toughest things as a touring disc golfer is they have to go through the constant travel, the constant driving to the next event, flying to the next event. You don't really have a home base for, let's say, seven months out of the year. And then for a couple months, you either, you know, if you're from the north, you're trying to get down south and practice disc golf during the off season. If your family's all up north, you never get to see them. So I think if you're a family person and then into the disc golf world, you're going to struggle in that nomadic lifestyle of you're going everywhere and anywhere. I think that's definitely going to affect people within, you know, five, seven, eight, you know, nine years of playing. And Paige has been, what, touring full time since 2010 or 2009, maybe 2011 when she won yeah. Worlds her first time. So yeah. 10 plus years of consistently being at the top and being one of the female faces in the disc golf world. Yeah, I definitely think that added pressure uh, mentally just exhaust you. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that out of players like Simon before at the end of the year, mm -hmm. just being like, I, I don't want to play anymore. I'm not yeah. like forever, but like I'm done with it. So yeah, exactly. Take a little time off. All right. So finally, as we have our uh, first interview in the green room, let me just wrap up with a third place finish here at Jonesboro, Sarah Hokum, third mm -hmm. place. Here's how it played out seven under par. That's really, that was good. Just barely almost a thousand rated three under par yeah. and then a three under par. Um, in a row, average 980. My my storyline before we get right into this interview is, is Sarah finding her world champion form again? She's really just demonstrated the last few events. Not that she's been playing bad, but man, she's really up there. And maybe it's comparison to how Paige has been playing, but like she's now competing on an average level with Paige and Katrina. And obviously we have a whole bunch of other players in the mix, but I mean, is... yeah. Are we are we going to see more out of Sarah? It, it it seems hopeful. So, yeah, I think definitely. Uh, obviously, with her backhand developing in a positive direction, we're definitely going to see more from Sarah. All right, everybody. Without further ado, our first guest of the night, um, Missy Gannon, all the way from wherever she is. I, I know her her profile says uh, New York. I think it says Beacon, New York. Uh, where are you calling us from tonight, Missy? I am somewhere in Missouri. Um, not quite sure where, <laughs> so we just kind of pulled off to a, you know, a rest area and, uh, decided to join you guys. Nice. We appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah that's excellent. It's always such a funny way of getting guests on. It's just like, oh, by the way, you're probably gonna have to pull over for like 20 minutes so you can do this interview really quick. But now we appreciate you taking time out of your drive. You've probably been driving all day. You're ready to get into Missouri for the next tournament that is happening, the Mid-America Open. But we appreciate you coming on. We got some questions for you now. Yeah. So Missy, I think the first time, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but the first time I met you was on a ferry trip over to Nantucket. Okay. Okay. You're nodding your head. That's for our listeners. She's in agreement. Good. We're on the same page. And I remember, so that was my introduction to who you were. Like, I was just like, I was just meeting another disc golfer is what that was. You and your boyfriend at the time. And I was just like, Hey, who are you? Um, but I feel like now you've demonstrated a lot of your skills on a, uh, pretty large, scale media you've had a lot of attention over the last year changing sponsors all of that um what do you see as your biggest improvement from when you started in the beginning uh over the past few years where you've really come to create your own person i guess in, in the in the disc golf world like people know who you are what is it what's what's happened like over since you started till now yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually when I met you on that ferry ride, that was my first real like start of tour. I had just gone on tour, I think that year in June and then, you know, Nantucket was a, a month or two later. Um, so yeah, I, uh, 
since then, I mean, that was just crazy. And I, I am so happy that I was able to get out on tour back then. But um, yeah, since then, I think it's just getting comfortable with everything, right? Like, it's not just being comfortable with your skills and, you know, those will develop and those were there, um, but obviously needed some refinement. But I think a big part of being able to make it on tour and, and maybe make a name for yourself is just being comfortable out there um, and trying to trying to block out some of those negative thoughts of like, you know, am I supposed to be here? Like, am I good enough to be out here? Um, so I think just honestly kind of getting more comfortable and more confident and then, you know, making friends and having people that you can tour with or, or all of those things sort of, sort of go into being a touring professional and definitely kind of uh, cross over into how you perform ultimately, because I think, you know, you're, you just, yeah, you just, there's so many things you have to think about touring around the country and trying to make money and trying to survive <laughs> and exist out here um, that, uh, you know, it just takes some time to get, to get comfortable. And that definitely helps. Wow. So, <laughs> Your average tournament finishes sixth place so far this season. So very notable feat. Absolutely. Um, did you set any goals for the 21, uh, excuse me, the 2021 season in regards to your performance or placements and how does the start of the season leave you feeling? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think last year being what a crazy year it was and having pretty much a full disc golf pro tour, um, after we took a break and then, mm -hmm. I came back out and I ended up with my highest finish at the DD open, um, play, placing second, and then followed that up with a third place at the preserve. Um, it sort of was like a weird, uh, kickstart for me, I guess. Um, and so, you know, my expectations started to raise and I started to think like, okay, well, I should be able to do top five every time. Um, which maybe was a little bit unrealistic at the time, but, um, it at least made me feel like, okay, well then top 10 every time should be feasible. And, um, so far so good with that trend, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, just, just trying to be trying, trying to be as close to top five as possible, but, um, I'm obviously going to be okay with a consistent top 10 finish. Um, and, I obviously want to win something this year. So that was a goal of just winning either a pro tour, you know, maybe a national tour, which I was in the mix at, at uh, Texas States. And then, um, you know, a major would be great, but <laughs> you know, I'll try to keep my expectations in check. <laughs> true. A true competitor there. Um, so yeah. definitely putting is one of your strong suits. And I think a lot of people know you for that. I don't know. Like you got kind of branded that way. Like you're a great putter. You, you won, um, a championship title in putting. Um, so obviously okay. I think you probably set that as one of your strongest skills. Do you think that is your strongest skill putting? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, it's definitely, I, I kind of felt like I lost it for a moment um, towards the end of last year. I don't know. It must've just been confidence. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I definitely feel like that anytime I'm stepping up to anything in within you know, 60 feet, I feel like I'm going to make, um, every single one of them. And I, I don't, but I think just having that confidence, uh, stepping up to any putt, um, any, you know, I feel like anything within the circle, I'm like, you know, 
I expect myself to make. And then uh, circle two, I, I've been making a few every tournament. And I think that if I can build on that, uh, it'll definitely help out. So yeah, putting is definitely something that I focus on the most because I think that that's where a lot of tournaments are won or lost. Um, and I think that's probably the, the most important skill for anybody to have. For sure. Did you no, say, absolutely. did you say 60 feet, anything inside of 60, you feel like you're going to make? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I do. I tell myself I can, cause I know I can. And then I, um, I'm running most of them and obviously dependent on the green and in the situation, but, uh, I'm going to run pretty much everything wow. inside circle two. Can you, can you tell us what you would list as your second strongest skill in disc golf? If putting is your first, like, where do you feel like you excel behind that? Yeah. I mean, for me, there's only really other two other options. It's either my upshots or my drives and my upshots are struggling at the moment. So I do find myself inside circle two a lot more than I want to, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that driving, uh, getting off the tee pretty clean has been um has been my second strongest suit i think that i'm just really comfortable with a lot of my distance drivers um and you know for the most part i'm gonna just stick with i'm stick with what i'm comfortable with so uh yeah i think getting off the tee is probably the second what do you think it would take for you to bring home that win that you're talking about this year what do you think you need to work on the most yep definitely the upshots um mm -hmm. there were there were even in Jonesboro. I I wasn't obviously in contention to win um, by the end of the, by the third round, but um, there was a women's uh, national championship spot that was available, and I was right on the cusp of that. And I think that there were some notable uh, upshots that I needed to put closer, and uh, mm -hmm. that's definitely the the struggle right now. Yeah. So it's a struggle. But you also talk, hopefully, and maybe you're just saying it more with, like, dream than hope, but, like, hey, it would be nice to win a major or, like, uh, an NT or something. But, like, besides working on your, your upshot, do you feel like it's really there? It's attainable for you this year. Do you feel like it is? I do, and I think that uh, I think that so many of us are in the mix nowadays. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we've, we've seen so many women... It, that we've that have been around um that are are capable of anybody's capable of win, winning any any weekend um so you know i want to i don't count myself out uh i want to be in that mix and i hope to put myself there and at least if i'm still whether it's fighting for a a you know a, a spot for the women's national championship or if it's fighting for first place like any any battle like that is gonna is going to help me um and hopefully that would be for a championship at some point mm -hmm. kind of going back really quick on your upshots where do you feel like what do you feel like is wrong right now are you more of a predominant forehand or backhand upshot player i'm mostly backhand uh i think that it's it's sort of I'm not gauging distances well. Um, so either I'm throwing too far past the basket or I'm throwing short or my angles are wrong. Just um, definitely that depth perception seems to be off right now. And, um, you know, I do use a range finder. I think I have to do more work in the field to actually understand what those ranges mean for me you know what disc is it? it also taking into account elevation and um yeah so i think it's just dialing in those smaller uh 
sort of details of all of the factors and trying to figure out how to how to dial that in. Is there a certain footage that you're comfortable, like let's say 250 feet and in or 150 feet and in, like where does it kind of start getting into that more negative side of it? Yeah, I think it is right within like 250. I think mm -hmm. that out at Jonesboro, that's a relatively wide open course. And, mm -hmm. and um, they have those uh, 250 markers out there on some of the holes. Uh, and so I could kind of get a sense for where I was. And it seems like every time I was right around that 250 mark or just within is when I, uh, it made me comfortable knowing that that's where I was, but then I just wasn't quite putting the disc where I needed to, uh, from those distances. So yeah. Gotcha. Can gotcha. I ask, and this has always been something of a topic that I've brought up over the past year or two, even is disc golf is getting to such a place where like trainers are becoming a thing. And realistically, I don't know very many pros who would say they have a coach, maybe a little bit physical, athletic trainer type thing. But like when you're talking about like, Hey, and this is true for anybody, I'm not just picking on you, but like, where are you learning? Like, Hey, I'm throwing the wrong angle. Is it just by experience and you're learning it on your own? Or is there someone that is mentoring you and coaching? you? I know you've hung out with Paige Pierce quite a bit. Uh, one of the best in the game. Um, where are you learning yeah. to get better? Like, are, is this on your own? Yeah, uh, mostly on my own. I mean, I do have uh, my fiance and caddy and, you know, touring partner with me, uh, Tom, who uh, also plays. And so uh, being able to sort of see, he's able to kind of take notes on how I'm, you know, what I'm doing. So even during a tournament, if he sees like, okay, yeah, I threw my undertaker great on this angle at this distance, you know, whatever. Um, he's able to sort of give me some feedback too, but, uh, yeah, I do practice a lot with Paige. Um, obviously she has a much farther throwing, uh, arm than I do. Uh, but, and so for her, if I see that she's throwing maybe a mid range, maybe for me, that means it's a fairway driver. And so there is some takeaway, uh, from practicing with her. I can kind of, uh, you know, take a little bit of, uh, notes from, from watching her play and, and sort of try to translate it into my game. Yeah. So, um, have you played beacon glades disc golf? Is that nearby yes. where you're from? Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> it's funny because again, I, I do a little bit of like a little bit of research. We found out, Hey, we're getting missy tonight. So I looked real quick. You're from beacon, New York, or at least your profile says yeah. that I've played beacon glades. It's obviously very wooded course. Um, can I ask coming from New York? Cause I'm also from new England. Nick's from new England, new, new England native moved to Virginia. Correct. It's a lot of wooded yeah. courses, a lot <laughs> of wooded courses, yeah. not very much open. Um, out on tour, do you find yourself like, loving getting back into wooded courses do you like the open golf courses like what's your preference when it comes to courses yeah i you know i'm i like every kind of course but definitely uh, i am partial to the wooded courses i think that uh it sort of levels the playing field in a way um obviously you still have to be on your mark and you know wooded mm -hmm. courses definitely uh you know you have to be able to throw some forehands or backhands or just at least know your angles really, really well. Um, but I do feel like I feel a little more focused in the woods. I have to sort of tunnel, you know, get tunnel vision because we're literally throwing in tunnels. But um, I think that that helps me a lot. I think that's 
maybe part of my struggle with my upshots, especially at Jonesboro, was that I didn't have a lot of those like, you know, physical uh, yeah. things out on the course to sort of gauge where I'm throwing or what my distances were. I think I do struggle a little bit in the wide open, but yeah, I'm definitely a, a woodsy golfer. That's funny. Just as I, a follow-up to that, Nick, and I'll let you comment, is yeah. my son, Hunter, absolutely loves the woods. He actually says out loud to me, Dad, I like it because I can see lines. Like, that's, mm-hmm. and so it's harder in the open. So th- thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. pretty much going to agree with that. I think throwing upshots in the woods, it kind of gives you like this, okay, that tree to the right of the basket is only 20 feet away. So I know if I get to that tree, I'm inside the circle. When I'm out at a tournament, say like Vegas or something, and you're throwing in the wide open. I'm like, I think I'm 350 feet away. So I think I need to throw this, but I guess I was 420. I don't know. But so, yeah, I definitely think that the woods, especially if you grew up playing in the woods, is just such a fun atmosphere to be in. And I like courses that obviously have a mixture of both, but for the most part, full on woods is where I like to play. But you change your bag over to Discraft. Was it 2020 when you first originally joined Discraft? Oh my gosh. Yes, it was. Okay. So 2020, <laughs> who were you sponsored by before? Uh, Dynamic Discs. Okay, cool. So you went from DD to Discraft and on a yep. scale of one to 10, how comfortable do you feel now? It's been almost two years of playing for them. How comfortable do you feel with the Discraft Discs? Uh, extremely comfortable, especially my bag. And actually there's a ton of molds that I still haven't even tried, but it's almost just for me, not even worth it at the moment because yeah. I do feel like I have everything I need and uh, it's been working out pretty well for me. So I don't think one or two discs uh, changing it up would really do much for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable, probably a, a, definitely a 10. For yeah. That. So besides <laughs> the Missy Gannon Undertaker, cause I know that'd be your first answer. What is your favorite yeah. disc from this? Uh, it is, it is definitely the Thrasher. I throw it. Okay. I threw it at Jonesboro, uh, pretty much exclusively off the tee. Um, so it is my go-to driver. I have a couple of different stabilities, and for me, they're just perfectly—they're just exactly what I what I need off the tee. So now, say I'm someone who has absolutely no idea what a Thrasher is. Can you describe the sure. flight of it? Yeah, um, I th- believe it's like a 12-speed uh, distance driver. Um, and for me, I have a couple that are they'll flip up to flat and then and then hyzer out to the left but for the most part they're my big distance driver so i'm looking for that big s turn uh out of them so yeah they're uh, i've just i've just found that they're perfect stability for me and uh, i can kind of manip- manipulate them however i want and then another big question kind of on top of that is what is your putter of choice it is the challenger ss okay nice yeah. i put it with those before lunas came out they're okay. an awesome feel. And then just, I, I love dead straight putters. So yes. kind of going on to the now Undertaker, which I said you weren't allowed to say, but tell us about the Undertaker. That is your chosen disc for your tour series. Can you give people who might not know what they fly like, kind of like a little gauge on that? Yeah, honestly, I think the reason why I like them so much is because they're almost sort of like a slower thrasher in a way um they're pretty neutral um some of the tour series are are more overstable um so they will hook to the left on a backhand line um but for the most part there again you can kind of manipulate them however you want you can put them on any angle and they'll they won't turn and burn but they also you know won't uh won't be too overstable so uh yeah again pretty neutral 
and uh, it's a nice feeling, you know, pretty, pretty small rim. It's a fairway driver. It's, it's like an eight or nine speed. I honestly, I don't really look at the numbers that much. So for me, it's just how they feel, how they fly. Totally and, hear you. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so the undertaker was available and I was already throwing it when I was, you know, testing everything out. And uh, yeah, it was definitely the, the choice for me. They say the very, less, very cool. they say the less, you know, about <laughs> flight numbers, the better you are at disc golf. So you must be pretty good. <laughs> People yeah. people ask me all the time. They're like, "What's what's this mean?" I'm like, "I I know one's a speed. Don't I even worry about it. Fade, I, think, don't. I don't know which ones they are." So so Missy, I mean, we loved we loved having you on tonight. Thank you so much for answering our uh, message to have you come on. It's honestly, yeah, it's honestly, we're like, we want to help promote all of your efforts. We want to promote everyone's efforts. And and sometimes it's just tough getting people on the show because it's just Nick and Matt. I mean, we're just the Nick and Matt show. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. Uh, so um, how can the people support you? Um, is it through purchasing discs? Or is there other ways to do it? And then um, how can they follow you and what you're doing on your tour? Yeah. So, uh, you know, mostly tour series discs, um, you know, you can find some on the factory store at Discraft. Um, also, I know a bunch were sent out to retailers. So your local retailer might have a, a Gannon Undertaker, the new 2021 series. Um, and then uh, I also have some custom Challenger SSs in ESP plastic over at otbdiscs.com. Um, they're super cool. They're a great company trying to help out a lot. And they're actually going to run a tournament later in the year uh, in, in actually a few weeks. Um, yeah. So, yeah, out in Stockton, California. Uh, so, yeah hit up any one of those to get some some discs to support me and then um you can follow me on instagram at missy underscore disc golf um and then also on facebook i think it's at missy disc golf <laughs> so yeah very cool and then any other sponsors you want to give a shout out really quick yeah i mean obviously discraft and uh you know grip equipment for my bags um we also have otb discs obviously and then whale sex very cool Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, Missy, we, we, yeah, Nick and I are both so <laughs> oh, excited oh, to say, say the same thing, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what dorks we are. So we really enjoyed yeah. having you on. Uh, obviously, you're pulled over here, but safe travels to you and good luck at the next event, Missy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thank you. All right. Take it Talk easy. to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. That was Missy Gannon, um, a world champion putter, and obviously much more than that. Um, averaging better than top 10 at most of these events um, or averaging better than top 10, I should say. Um, Nick, did anything stand? I have something that stood out to me, but I'm just curious what your opinion is in that interview. What stood out to you? Well, obviously I like the confidence she has and to where she thinks like she's going out there and she's competing for the win. And that's what she wants. Like those are goals of hers is to go out and actually do that. Once she fine tunes her game a little bit more, that's where she thinks she will be at that. And I, you know, I definitely think she's capable of doing it, especially with the parody of disc golfers. She even said it herself, like the competition is so close this year and she's been in contention to win certain tournaments. And so now she's just full on working to get to that spot. Yeah, I, I actually, it's, I mean, it stood out to me as well. That was the same exact thing. I had to even follow up. I was like, are you saying that, you know, you feel like you could win a major this year or um, yeah. do you feel like an NT is there in your future? And she's like, more or less, she kind of says, yeah, I have to, which. Yeah, exactly. You do. Here's the t- takeaway. 
any of these top level pro athletes, top 20, top 30, and depending MPO, there's more talent. I should, let me rephrase that. There's, there's more players, which means that there's yeah. going to be, you have to play harder to be at the top. Um, that being said, it's, it's the, the talent at the FPO with Paige, Katrina, those two at the top. It's been so hard for anybody else to get wins in. As she mentioned, Missy mentioned yeah. this, we're starting to see a lot more parity at the top, which makes her, and this is another takeaway, Nick. Do you think the FPO field is like, this is my time. It just gives them a little bit more hope. Like we're seeing a lot more movement. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think this is the time for all of them to capitalize. You don't right now we don't have one single dominant player in the FPO division. So I think for every single other FPO player, they should be thinking like, hey, this is my time to shine. This is my time to get on those feature cards. This is my time to get on the live coverage and everything like that. So yeah, I hundred percent think that Missy will be up there. I hundred percent think that there's a lot of FBO players who are slowly gonna keep creeping in and out of those cards. Yeah, so we're just about to move into our second interview of the evening. Uh, we're going to be bringing in Adam Hammes. Uh, in fact, I think he's ready. We're ready. Uh, it's going to be good to talk to him again. Let me go ahead and bring him in here. Adam Hammes, Team Discraft, performing fairly high level this year. Uh, how's it going, man? And where are you calling us from? It's going good. Uh, I am actually already in uh, Emporia at the RV park, so me and Jeff just rolled in. Oh, dang, you're going to DDO early. Yep, got to get that practice dang. in. Yeah, I heard they switched it up to two courses this year. I didn't know that actually just until today. That's, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that two courses? That wasn't even a question, but I mean, two courses is always better. Is that how you see it? Uh, usually I like one, but I think for this tournament, uh, having another course is kind of exciting. Um, I haven't heard good things about Jones, so excited to see it and, and play on it, so. Awesome. Uh, so, do you like playing out there? I've played uh, the country club, but I've never played Jones. Is it Jones East, right? Jones Gold. Jones Gold sorry. Jones Gold. <laughs> uh, I've actually never even been there, so I, it'll be new to see this week. So that's why I'm kind of skipping Mid America and then um, yep. coming here just so I can get that extra practice on the new course. So, did the potential weather <laughs> warnings creep you away from Mid America and push you towards Emporia, or were you already planning on going out there early? Uh, we, we, we plan on coming to DDO early, um, mid America. I went last year and it was rainy and muddy and, uh, I love the course to death, but I just, uh, rather have yeah. the practice for an elite series versus the silver series. So that's why we made the decision that way. So yeah, absolutely. It, it probably wouldn't be very professional uh, interview, but if Jeff Corns was just like sitting on the back of that couch, just like with his head propped up on his arm, like it would just be like, <laughs> there's Jeff Corns. He's in the back of so many videos and so many. Yep. There's his bodyguard. It's his Adam Hammes's bodyguard or something. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I heard him in the background there. So, uh, Adam, first of all, good to talk to you again. Last year, obviously, events and things got changed up. We didn't get to see you last year up here in my neck of the woods. But you're coming off of back-to-back fifth-place finishes at Disc Golf Pro Tour events. You're averaging 16th place in general over the past five events. That's that's pretty good top 20 finishes at any event seems to be pretty good nowadays. How do you feel about your performance so far in the season? Uh, I mean, the first two turns of the year were obviously great. I went back-to-back wins to start. And then, um, you know, once we got into Texas, it wasn't uh, wide-open Heiser golf anymore. And I think uh, trying to hit a line and a gap was a little bit difficult because it was the first time I got to play in the woods and, you know, uh, the whole offseason. So... I struggled a few for the first few events. I mean, uh, Waco and Texas States. And then I just kind of like, um, you know, put it into gear. I was like, all right, you got to grind, dude. So like 
started putting like crazy and just like playing as much as I could. Me and Ezra spent a, a week and a half together and we played like two rounds a day, putted until dark almost every single night. And I just wanted to get my game back up and then I went into vintage and uh, had a good showing. It was uh, pretty solid. Could have did a little bit better. And then uh, Jonesboro, I was uh, pretty confident coming into it and uh, pretty happy with how I finished at Jonesboro. So. Yeah, it was definitely a great finish at Jonesboro, and obviously some tweaks you made because within 54 holes, you only had three bogeys at the whole event. Mm -hmm. 28 different birdies throughout the three rounds. Is this what it's going to take to elevate your game to that next level? Do you envision yourself winning an Elite Series event this year? Um, I mean, yeah, the, some of my, the biggest problems for me out there is bogeys. I mean, uh, if you go back to, like, vintage Texas States and Waco, I mean, I just have too many bogeys, and then you just – not getting enough birdies to make up for it. So I think for me, if I can just minimize the bogeys right now and then just stay confident and keep making putts, I mean, I'm not guaranteeing myself win an Elite Series event, but I think if I can stay consistent as I am right now, uh, I think maybe one week and I'll just pop off and, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. So, Yeah, you've, you've got the skills, and I think we've heard other players talk about just being able to pop off. I mean, I'm not doing that, but you guys are able to do that, and I think any given week you can do that. Um, People in the chat right now are pretty much just going on and on about circle two putting and how Adam Hammes is probably our best circle two putter we've ever had on the show. Um, so is putting considered one of you? I mean, people consider it your strongest skill. Do you feel like that's true for you where putting is the strongest part of your game? And then if so, just follow it up with what you think the second strongest part of your game is. Yeah, putting is without without a doubt uh, the strongest part of my game. Um, it's what I work on the most. Um, if I'm not doing field work, I'm putting. So just trying to get my putt like where I feel it's comfortable, and when I feel it's comfortable, then I'll start making a lot of putts. Um, yeah, that's basically the strongest part. And then like uh, second strongest part would maybe be like not off the tee. I'm pretty weak off the tee <laughs> at times. Um, uh, maybe like sidearm, like uh, overstable discs, like Raptors. I think my sidearm, my sidearm is pretty solid. It was really good at Jonesboro, so I was pretty happy with that. And what are you putting with now? I'm putting with Putterline Hard uh, Focuses. Uh, okay. I got a little shipment in from the factory, and they've been working out really good. I nice. wanted to follow nice. up real quick because I earlier said, you know, you only had a certain amount of average finishes, and your your average is 16th. I didn't, I don't want to take away from those victories that you did have we were just counting the the, mm -hmm. the pro tour and the nts but okay. yeah so so good job to you for sure with those wins in there if we put throw those in the average now you're averaging probably closer to that 10th place finish at the events that you've competed in so that's awesome thank you touring full-time for you adam you're doing it you're in an rv now what's that like what's the best part about it and definitely what's the hardest part about it <laughs> uh, there's not too many bad parts about it. Uh, it's been great. Uh, I've been with Jeff. It's been, you know, a blast. Um, we've been bonding, having great times, just laughing, having a great time. You know, all the practice rounds have been great. Uh, tournaments have been fun. I mean, it's great. I mean, the RV life on the road, um, minimal thoughts, uh, companies are taking care of me and stuff like that. So it's just me going out there and trying to play to the best of my ability. And, you know, I think this year it's, it's really going to help and, mm -hmm. It's going to be my best potential to do something big. So it's been Is great. Is this your first year being in an RV or being in this position of where you're hitting literally every single Elite Series event, every event that you can possibly play? Is this the first year that you're doing this? Uh, yeah, I did 
before COVID 2019, I think I went to almost all the pro tours, maybe a couple, but this is the first year I'll be at almost every single elite series event, all the NTs and all the pro tours. Mm -hmm. So, and then like one consistent tour line across the country in the RV. So, yeah. Were you planning anything overseas before like European open got canceled? Yep. So we had Sula planned and we had the European open planned and uh, it's just unfortunate that, you know, the pandemic is, has sprung up over there and we can't make it over there, which I understand, but you know, things happen. Interesting. Did you find yourself, um, because I wasn't down there, did you find yourself at Jonesboro having fans follow your card and, or ask for pictures, autographs? What was the feeling difference between the rest of the events you've played this year? Uh, Jonesboro was like the first tournament where it like actually felt good to like be there. Like, I mean, not, not, not like, not in a negative way, but like, in like in the past, but like the camaraderie from all the fans and like just the energy the fans bring, it just, it makes a disc golf tournament. Like it, it is just not the same without them. And, uh, just to have them back there and just hearing the claps across the course and the cheers, it just, it makes the whole, the whole tournament is, is just that much better. Um. I think it honestly helped my play. Um, just the cheers, people clapping for me on hole one, stuff like that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a really good like mental thing to have. Like it's just, it's just nice to have people cheer for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> and not no, to no. take away from Adam here, but I think that's why Simon actually has been milking his injury for so long. He only likes to play for the <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Simon, I don't blame him. If Simon's listening right now, you know I love you, bro. All right. Um, <laughs> now I'm off track. Uh, so I'm gonna go back to. 2000 and when was it 2019 and it's going to come off as a little bit negative and everyone's going to say Matt you're you're the most negative guy on on the show every week you always ask these stupid questions but there was a quote unquote cameraman incident back in 2019 okay I've met you since then but but when I saw that when I saw that the first time I said who you can't do that. Like I was thinking to myself and from my perspective, social media backlash, outlash, the whole thing. You came to, to Maple Hill. I hung out with you and I honestly was kind of skeptical just because of that. But I hung out with you in total all the way flipped 180 the other direction. You're playing disc golf with my son. We're having a good time. Your personality is great. You're a likable guy. You like board games. The whole nine yards. Can I ask though, after that quote unquote media event and that social media backlash, like what did that have as an effect on you? Obviously it was early into your disc golf career. How did that affect you as an athlete? I mean, the, the hate and the things that came from that were definitely hard to uh, like swallow at first, but, um, you know, it was just something I like had to apologize for and just move on. Um, I didn't really, I mean, it affected me at the beginning, but I didn't really let me affect me too much. So I don't know. It's hard. I really thought about too much. It's kind of happened so long ago, but <laughs> I, I just brought it back up. He's like, I'm suppressing those memories, Matt. Now, now you're... But I just think, you know, things like that actually shape us. And I'm just curious, like you haven't thought of it is what you're saying, but like, and I'm not even saying, did you apologize or not? I'm just saying like in general, like do people now that are getting to know you, does anybody ever feel like, do you feel like there's negative repercussions from what happened then still? Or do you feel like there's nothing? Um, I feel like pe- the people who haven't met me might have something like to say something different. But I mean, if you've met me and you've hung out with me, like I feel like you know that I'm not like this bad person. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I feel like the, some of the things like that situation. There's been a lot of times where people have, like made me out to be like unlikable and like have this negative perspective of me. 
And uh, it kind of like hurts like sitting back because like that's not who I am. It's not I'm not out there. I don't have bad intentions for anyone. I don't have any like I want everyone to do good. I'm not here to like be the guy no one likes. You know what I mean? So like uh, it kind of hurts for a little bit, but like it's not it's nothing too much. Well, thank yeah, you for I think sharing at the same with, time with that. Yeah, I think at the same time with that, it's you know everyone makes mistakes, and that was a small mistake on the cameraman's part, on your mis- on your part, but like there are a million things that you could have done way worse in life. And like <laughs> for pushing a camera aside, if anyone's to like depict you as this evil, awful person, because you pushed a camera, like they're just Sally's. Hold on. Uh, hey, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the social, it's the social media yeah. generate and we're yeah. in it. Adam's in the social media. Nick, you are, I am like every week, Adam, no joke. And we're going to get it now because I'm bringing it up people like oh matt you have the weirdest beard lineup ever matt you need to stop talking like you have the worst talk show host like nick get rid of matt like it's just where we are and now i'm gonna get a whole bunch of sarcastic comments right now live but like that's honestly that's what i was talking about for you is the social media backlash because honestly like again meeting you in person it's just totally different so i just wanted to have that opportunity on the show not to bring up bad vibes but so that everybody could hear from my mouth to the tens of thousands of people who hear this, Adam is a tremendous guy. And I'm so glad he came on the show and was even willing to say what he's learned from that. So mm-hmm. that that's my piece on it. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Thank you guys. So we have, uh, we had two players now who I think both of you guys the same year switched over to Discraft. You were an Inima sponsor player before. Um, funny enough, actually, the first time that I saw you in person was 2017 worlds. When I think going into the final round, you were second place. Hmm. And you were, you know, young, obviously younger back then, pretty young kid coming out and just killing the world's tournament, transitioning now into Discraft. You've been with them for a few years now, just about three years. How has that been? How's the transition? How's the Discraft lifestyle? And tell us about your signature series disc. Uh, the transition from Innova to Discraft was uh, uh, at first like the hardest decision I've ever had to make. But as soon as I made it and then when I started out, once I started getting comfortable, I knew it was the best decision I've ever made. So, you know, Discraft's just been incredible. Um, I really don't want to be anywhere else. Uh, the transition was easy. The discs are incredible. Um, Discraft for life, you know. Um, nice. And that, what was that second one? I'm sorry, Nick. Just talk about your signature series discs and like oh, yeah. also just kind of like switching over into the lineup in general. Like what are things like if I'm a new player, never heard of you before, saw that you switched to Discraft, you know, what are you what are you throwing that you like? So yeah, my uh, tour series discs uh, has for the last two years have been the Wasp, um, uh, the tour series Wasp. Uh, it's an overstable mid-range. It's got a beat on it. You can hammer it flat and cons- uh, cons- get consistent fade. And uh, I like it in the wind. Um, I was throwing it at Vintage a lot. I think it was hole 12. I was throwing it. I was getting my birdies with that. So um, if you're looking for an overstable mid in the wind that holds straight and then still flies like a buzz when it's dead calm, definitely try out one of my Wasps. Um, and then, um, yeah. So let Sorry. me ask this question. You, I think you saw, commented, or shared a social post that I had made of when I did a 3D printed Settlers of Catan. Is that mm. is that a game that you like to play while on tour? Oh, definitely. We have two sets in here right now, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, we play pretty consistently. We play at Terry Roethlisberger all the time and... Uh, try to get the boys in here and play some Catan, you know, it gets heated sometimes. It gets I was going to say, it's good that you guys are all still friends. I mean, that game is, you know, it's frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. Tables almost been flipped a few times, but <laughs> we always make the loser pick up. So the, 
or the winner pick up so the losers feel a little bit better. You know? Oh, okay. That's not bad. <laughs> oh, man. Bad. Do you play with all the expansion yeah. packs and that kind of stuff, or do you just keep it pretty basic? Uh, we usually just play the basic board. I have played expansion packs in the past, but um, it just gets a little too much for some people who haven't played, and usually we're playing with someone who hasn't played, so... All right. Try to explain it in the simplest way. I, I agree. And that's for someone like me. So I decided to do the largest 3D printed project ever of my life, like 300 hours of printing. And you are totally invited. And I know I already did this on social media, but now I'm talking to you. You're invited when you're back up here, Maple Hill. We'll come over and do Heck grill yeah. out or something. We can play. Um, cool. So, Nick, you got anything it's, else? Well, I was going to say, yeah, besides for disc golf, what else do you enjoy doing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love being outside. I love fishing. Um, you know, um, I like shoes. I like going to shoe stores with Jeff. Ooh. We like doing that. Um, you know, uh, I, I just like being on like the boat. I just love being outdoors. You know, if I can be outside all day long, I will. Um, yep. uh, I'm from northern Wisconsin. There's not too many people up there. So it's like if I'm having a chill day up in my hometown, I'm probably just like maybe go fish on the river and like go home, make a bonfire, have dinner, like just kind of like relax, uh, jump in the lake, maybe go swimming and stuff like that. So pretty relaxed. Um, not, not, nothing too crazy. Just nice. Was there last, something, last question. What, oh, was there ahead, some, was there something before disc golf? Like how long have you been doing disc golf? I know that's such a like basic question on a disc golf interview, but like, was there something before disc golf that you enjoyed doing? Uh, so I played uh, regular golf before disc before disc golf, I played baseball and I played basketball. So okay. uh, I was in three different sports growing up. And uh, disc golf was kind of like I was starting to get good, like junior, senior year of high school. And that's when I was still on the golf team. So I like, had to make a decision like, yo, dad, like I don't really want to play regular golf anymore. Like I kind of want to pursue disc golf. And, you know, he wasn't too thrilled with it at first. But, you know, I think now he's like, OK, uh, maybe we should have let him off the golf team a little earlier. But um <laughs> But yeah, and, um, I started playing disc golf in 2010, so I think it was fourth grade summer uh, is when I discovered it. I was just basically at uh, playing playing baseball, little league park, and uh, the the local park just popped up a disc golf course, and I was just intrigued. You know, I I was like, this is cool. Like, I have to try this. And my dad was like, oh, I used to play back in the day, and blah 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 blah. And I was like, cool. I'm gonna go downstairs and grab your uh, old Bullet Stamp XD. Had no idea what it was, but now I know it was a Bullet Stamp XD. And I went out to the course and I started throwing it. So, and hooked from there. Nice. There you go. Any specific goals you have for the year? Uh, you know, just try to stay consistent, uh, keep grinding. You know, I think the last two weeks, what's worked for me is like putting every night for, you know, as long as till I'm comfortable. So, just trying to stay consistent, stay grinding, and um, stay calm, relax, and just just keep my eyes on on the prize, basically. All right. Where can the people in the world, where can they find you on social media? Where can they support you buying discs or whatever? Where can they find all that? Uh, you can support me by buying my tour series Wasp um, at any of your local Discraft retailers, uh, Discraft.com, I believe. Uh, ResistanceDisc.com, any of the custom runs that come out there, those are very good for supporting me. Um, I know we've had the, the Glow Z Zones come out and then the Crystal Raptors. Um, expect more of those to come. And... Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. Any sponsor shout outs? Uh, you know, uh, resistance discs, grip equipment and discraft disc golf. Cool. Well, Adam, we appreciate you getting all settled in and coming on the podcast tonight. We hope to have you again soon. And is I I'm, guess I'm cutting off me, Nick. I'll, is I'll Je see is, you at Worlds. I'm, I'm cutting you off, Nick. Is Jeff there in the RV with you? 
He is. You guys want to see him? Oh, he's got. Yeah. Yep, he's got to come at least. Sit, sit, he's he, got to make his yep. appearance. He probably won't be able to hear us, right? Yeah. What's up, boys? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's funny. I said Jeff won't be able to hear what we're saying about him. Now he's on camera and he's like, "What's going on?" Um, we just had to say hi because people heard you originally in the background of the the camera, like earlier on in the interview, and they're like, "Jeff Corn sighting." So. <laughs> Jones Gold. All right, we just had to see you so to know that you were really there. Um, keep keep up the good work out there. You're traveling around with Adam, getting him to these events. He says he's feeling very comfortable. So good job, Jeff. Do what I can, man. It was a good All week right. for the crew last week. We had oh, yeah. Ben Callaway also took top ten, grabbed a USDGC spot. So Hell yeah, it's an awesome week when guys in the RV do stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. How can it not be? Well, anyways, boys, I'll see you in Utah. I hope you guys have a phenomenal DD open and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Safe travels. Good luck. Peace. All right. Bye. Later. All right, everybody. That was Adam Hammes. And at the very end there, Jeff Corns. Um, Jeff Corns? Yeah, Jeff Corns. I just had to have him come on. I knew he was there. Right. You know what exactly. stood out to me about that real quick is he just said he gets to where he goes. Then he's like, he putts all night. Yeah. That goes back to my conversation earlier. And again, maybe I'm picking on Calvin, but I was very surprised to hear a top-level athlete like Calvin say, I don't spend time putting on the putting green. I just take the putts as they come during my round. Yeah. Uh, that's obviously he's performing at such a high level, but mm -hmm. I I'm wondering if he actually, if he felt like his putting wasn't where it wanted to be, which is what he said, maybe that's spending that time. I don't know. I'm not him. It, it might. And, you know, after this week, he might... He might do that. He might start practicing putting just a little Maybe. bit more until he kind of gets back into that routine. But I'll tell you this for, for everyone out there, and this applied to me, doesn't apply to everyone else, but I used to not care for practice putting. I thought it was tedious, but I was never like a consistently great putter. I would have tournaments where I was putting very well, and then I'd have tournaments where, you know, I was putting very poorly. So this last four or five months or whatever, I consistently started practice putting pretty much every single day. And it it's now to a point where I actually really enjoy practice putting because I'm enjoying seeing the improvement that I've made. Like before, if I was hitting six out of 10 from 25 feet, now I'm hitting nine out of 10 from 25 feet. And there's just such a good feeling of like seeing improvements in your game that putting, it's tedious but it's so easy to practice and it's such a fulfilling and like rewarding feeling when you notice yourself get better, like stepping up to tournaments, stepping up to a putt and just knowing that this has a very, very solid chance of going in is a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, Adam. And it was, I don't want to say slightly awkward. I mean, I I've met so many of these players that were interviewing slightly awkward to bring up old, old news, but I wanted to give them a platform uh, where we could say he's not who yeah. people, some people think he is. He's obviously performed pretty well over the past year or so. People know he's decent at disc golf, but that was like, it was a significant media thing that came up at the end of the 2019 season. And I just wanted to yeah. be able to say like, he is a great guy. Um, and I'm excited to see him perform and putting compilation videos. Like, was it Hall of Fame Classic? Is They're that awesome. where it was? Yeah, Hall of Fame Classic is such a fun tournament to watch from two years ago because of just the highlights that him, that he did on the putting green. It, it was insane. Yeah. It, it, he even said, he's like, yeah, it's definitely, you know, my strong suit. So, yeah. 
great, great interviews out of them. Glad we were able to get them on the show tonight. Um, so we're literally just going to jump into a, a handful of topics here and uh, see how it plays out. We don't have any more guests lined up for the night. <laughs> so this one's pretty straightforward, Nick. Player ratings. Actually, I say it's straightforward. I think most everybody agrees with this, but maybe not the amateurs. <laughs> Player ratings don't matter, but the trends they show do. Do you agree with that statement? What do you mean by the trends they show do? So, like, if if I'm a, I don't know, let me just pick a crazy number. My my wildest dreams. I'm a thousand and fifty rated player. That's my mm-hmm. player rating. Uh, you know, Brody's been big on this lately, and a lot of other players, Paul Uliberry, all these people. Like, hey, ratings don't matter, or my player rating doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a thousand and fifty, and the next month I'm a thousand and forty-two, and then the next month I'm a thousand and thirty-five. And then the next month, I'm 1,029. And we see three months in a row trending downward. Can we use the player rating at that point to say there's a trend? At least you see what I'm saying? The rating of themselves, it doesn't tell them how they're going to perform any given weekend. But like the trends matter because it's showing us that they're not, they're continuing in a certain direction. Yeah, it, it obviously, it shows the consistency of how a player is doing. So for Ricky right now, like he's averaging 1060 plus rated golf. Because of that, he's showing from a rating and just by winning tournaments that he is the best player in the world at the moment. I think I think ratings matter for certain people, but at the same time, I love what Paul Uliberry says is that he cares about winning. So he'll go and play a local C tier. And if he wins it only averaging 10-10 golf, well, guess what? He still won a tournament. And that's where I've always looked at it. Like I obviously I want to get above thousand because that it looks better on paper if I go to talk to, you know, like when I try to talk to disc golf and potentially, uh, excuse me, disc craft and potentially moving up a team, it looks better if I'm thousand rated with a few wins on the board. But I think when I get to a certain spot, like I just want to go out there and win tournaments. I love playing tournaments. I love competing and I want to win. I don't want something like I, I could win an eight tier versus incredible players. If I'm a 1050 rated player, and I only win it by averaging 1030. Like to me, that doesn't matter. Like I still got the win at an A tier against other phenomenal players. Let me say this though, because you're not wrong. I I agree with you. Wins are what matter. Wins are what (laughs) matter for sure. We talk about ratings. I just want to separate these two topics again. We talk about ratings because I talk about round ratings. To me, (laughs) round ratings are significantly different. It's how player ratings are made but round ratings, if I, I'll say this again, I've said this previous weeks. If I go out and shoot Maple Hill Reds, which is a beginner family friendly course, I go out, shoot Maple Hill Reds, and I come on the, the show next week and I say, guys, I shot 16 down. Do people celebrate with me or do they say, oh, that's really easy? How do you know if you've never played the course before? But if I come on exactly. and say, hey, I just shot a thousand and forty rated round. Then everybody immediately knows that sounds really good. So yeah. the the round ratings are one thing. That's not what that's that's not what I'm yeah. talking yeah, about yeah. here. Um, I'm talking about specifically player ratings. And and just as a a conversation back to you, I agree wins matter the most. But Nick, you as a player, if you are watching each month your rating go down, does it not concern you? Do you say ratings don't matter, or do you think to yourself? 
my performance is trending the wrong way. I need to work harder. Like, does it do anything for you or is it literally nothing? So I think for the top, let's say top five players in the world, let's take, you know, Ricky Eagle, Paul, Calvin, and then whoever you want to put at number five. I don't really know who you even put there right now. But I think those <laughs> players aren't really caring about their rating going up or down a few points, whether like Paul, say he goes right. down to 1050. All that is is saying like, hey, I got to work on my game a little bit. Like it's not him being like, oh my God, I might, I might go to right. 1049 rated this next update. But for the players who are 1020 and 1025 right now, for them to try to get up to that 1030, 1035 range or that 1035 to 1040 range, if they're going in the wrong direction, then you kind of see that player falling off and they might have the mentality of, well, if I'm not 1020 rated, then people aren't going to know like who I am or they're not really going to care to see my name at the leaderboard because, you know, I don't have that saying of, oh, I'm over 1020 rated. I think for some people, I think it matters to them a lot. But if you're a full time touring professional disc golfer, I don't think ratings should be the, you know, effect of your life kind of your mental game i think you just going out there and trying to play your best golf and you might be in a slump for a month or two your rating might go down but at the same time you might play the best best two months of your life after that and your rating goes up 10 points i mean what really matters like you go out there you practice and you get better it's it's an interesting topic we don't need to, to beat a dead horse but i think it's a measuring it's a measuring of past performance for sure and i think that's the mm -hmm. takeaway it's not saying how you're going to perform although stats can be indicators of how things are going to go but again i agree with you i think yeah. it, paul so, Macbeth goes down three points what's the big deal like my son Hunter exactly. might be really bothered. He's not the best rated in the world. And I go, yeah. do you really yeah. think that matters? Like that he's not going to yeah. win because he's three points lower this month or whatever. like, by the way, shout out to Paul and Ricky tied at the top. <laughs> it doesn't matter everybody, but they are tied at the top. Yeah. It is a pride thing. Oh, and wrapping this topic up, Nick amateurs. This is why like the PDGA rating system works because amateurs have bragging rights. For instance, I was able to come on the show and talk about my round ratings, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But also if I bump up to, let's say, like a 950 rated player, you better believe I'm proud to show that when I register at an AM event. Look at this 950 rated player. <laughs> yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think ratings like for me, ratings are cool right now because, you know, I'm obviously trying to get to a certain mark. I like playing rounds that are above that certain mark. And, you know, like last weekend, I shot a 1037 rated round. And it felt great to shoot that. Like it felt good knowing I can go out there and I can shoot those kind of rounds. And I've had a lot of good rounds this year. My rating will hopefully trend in an upward direction. But I also like looking at rounds that are dropping off from last year. You know, like next month, I might be dropping off a 960 rated round. And then the only rounds coming onto my rating are 1,000 rated ones. So it's kind of a cool feeling to see, like, look at the improvements that I've made last year going from, I, you know, I would technically say my worst season in disc golf coming into this season so far to where it's been a very rewarding season and we're still at the beginning of it, but yeah, there's definitely that feeling of like, you know, I might sign up for a local tournament as a 991 rated player. And by chance, like this last one that I was at, I was the highest rated player. Granted, it was only one round C tier. That doesn't happen too, too often with competition getting better. But yeah, there's a cool feeling of saying like, Oh, look at my rating going into this. But at the same time, my goal is to get above the thousand rated mark and then just keep pushing myself as a player from there. And yeah. 
Yeah, so we can move on from that. I, I think yeah. it was just... I think, I think ratings are good and bad. Uh, for amateurs, just last thing. For amateurs, I like it to where there should be caps on what division that you can play in. Obviously, there's age-protected gaps, but talking about like when should an intermediate player jump up into advanced and when should an advanced hmm. player jump up into pro? So I like those that areas is very of ratings. Helpful. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of people, let's say in like the female divisions, I think there's players who, you know, have competed in the female rec division. They're just a little bit better than all them. So they complete in the intermediate, but then someone who normally plays advanced, there's no advanced woman in that player playing in that tournament. So then they jump down into the intermediate side of it. And I think there's just ways where, you know, there should be rating caps on each division. I don't know what the magical number is for any of that. I've never really looked too, too much into it right there. I think ratings would be incredible, but it's not the end all kind of thing. Hey, you just, I don't think you read the chat, but that's what someone just said. Ratings are not, not really. the end all be all. But it's another important that, that metric. Was a saying. I couldn't remember the yeah. last part of that saying. They said, but it's another all. important metric. This is Daniel to show how you're playing just like wins and money. For instance, ex that's a great point to be able to say like, hey, this is how much money I've made. Does that mean you can't win more money or less money based off how much? No, but it does yeah. show you how they've played. It is another metric. Agreed. It's another metric. Yeah, I See, I, I there. like I said, there are certain areas where I don't really care for the ratings. Like I don't want it to be the most affected thing, like my mentality is looking like I, I don't like the feeling of at the end of the round being like, oh my God, what's my round rated? Is it rated above? Is it mm -hmm. rated below? Like when I have more of an average round, obviously I know my rating is going to be above if I play well. I know it's going to be below if I play bad. But at the same time, I like going into a tournament with just saying, look, I like competing for the win. I don't care if I have to shoot 940 rated golf to get it or 1040 rated golf together. I just want to go into a tournament and compete for the win. That is why I go to them. That's a good mindset, uh, for sure. And I can tell you, as someone who is rated 936 right now, I'm not too concerned with my rate. I'm not trying to go be a professional either. So mm -hmm. I don't actually, I'm more interested like, oh, what was that rated? But not with any real intent of caring. Like, oh, who cares? Like, I'm going to play as good as I play. So it's obviously nice to see a rating go up in a positive direction, yeah. but it's not like for players like you, where you're not trying to get yeah. onto that pro scene, a rating for you should say, Oh, I'm 938 rated. You know, that means I can technically play advanced, but if I'm not really feeling it, if I feel like my game's slipping <laughs> downwards, you could play, uh, am I could or whatever intermediate. And so I feel where, bad. I'd feel bad destroying yeah. and taking everybody's money. <laughs> exactly. So that's where the cap should be. Like, let's yeah. say the cap is at 935 to where you cannot play below that anymore. You can only play advanced and pro now. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, So, all right, moving on to the next topic here. And Nick and I did not discuss this. It's literally just going to be a reaction from Nick here. Uh, just list out names of professionals that you feel like, and I'm using the word ooze. But I, I couldn't think of another word here. Pros that are oozing professionalism. Like, it's just like you look at them and you're like, they're demonstrating professional disc golf. And I don't necessarily mean talent, but I, let me put it to you. What does that mean to you? If you said someone was really representing the disc golf sport and it's such a professional way that, like, they epitomize professional. Um, one of the biggest things that I look at is how a player dresses. Um, I have always been a huge fan and a huge advocate for people going out there and honestly looking preppy, like looking 
looking the part of being a professional disc golfer. And I think golf clothes are where I'm at with that to where I just, you know, I love it when people are dressed well, you know, I have to be matching with like all Adidas, but like dressing in golf clothes, I think has such a professional look, especially on the pro tour standards. Cause that's what we're talking about. That to me is something that I look for when I think, you know, they're oozing professionalism. Um, someone who is active in the social media and not just posts, but actually interacts with their fans, interacts with people asking questions online or, you know, the content creation, responding to comments. And then someone who in person, like does clinics, someone who represents their brand. Well, um, I think there are a lot of players and then there's definitely, there's way more than there was five years ago. Um, I've definitely seen an upward direction of players dressing a hell of a lot better. Can I, I just throw a name it. out there? Uh, ben Calloway. Did you happen to see him on any coverage this past weekend? Discraft player. Yeah. When, mm -hmm. And this is just this is just to support your point. When you looked at him, you thought, like, I don't know, like ball golf came to my mind. Like he looked the part, like yeah. professional for sure. I'm and pretty I, sure he actually is a really good ball golfer too. Like okay. I, I think I remember him in 2019. We were all at Top Golf in Arizona. And I'm pretty sure he was like really nasty. And same with Adam Hannes. They're both really good at ball golf. So I guess, I mean, but, um, that's just to yeah. support your point there. But mm -hmm. you started going down another road there too, interacting with, you know, fans and all that. I'm going to offer my perspective on it. I feel like, well, I mean, I'm, now I'm going to say some names. Obviously, Paul McBeth, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason I say obviously is not because of the wins. It's a small percentage of the way how he dresses and cares about his appearance on the course. That's important. But I would say it's his composure, literal composure. Now, does he get upset on the course as an athlete? For sure. That's his passion flowing out. But I guess composure in the way that he conducts interviews. Um, mm -hmm. Just he's not going out. And now I am not saying any names of this. But he's not going out after a tournament and, he par and partying. And he's not going after out during tournament travels and just only having what would be considered a good time by many. Like, and I'm not saying good or bad on like if people drink or not, but like he's not doing that. He cares so much about his game. And I think it was Brian Earhart. I would consider Brian Earhart. There's another name. Professional. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I feel like to me, there's this way you hold yourself. And I guess I'm looking at, it's really interesting. And, and the chat room's coming in with a lot of professional, the people that they feel are professional. That's, that's excellent. Keep sharing the names that come to your head. Mm -hmm. I feel like though, and now people are going to wonder, I'm not coming out with a hot take on this one. I do not want to be that negative. In the top 10 and top 20, do we have players who are not taking this professionally enough? And one, they could and probably perform better. Or two, they're not like treating it professionally enough. And it's kind of making a joke of our sport. Do we have players like that? Nick, is it a big deal? Should our players that are in the top 20 at the very least treat this at the highest level of professionalism? Yeah. I mean, the players in the top 20 right now are full-time touring professionals. I don't think there's someone in the top 20 who's just casually jumping and flying out to a pro tour event here and there. I don't think we have a player like that um at the moment but yeah i think every single player in the top 20 should be treating this as i need to look the part i need to be the part and i need to play like the part of a professional athlete because that's 
that's what these people are. And that's what they're striving to be is the best professional athlete that they can be. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. And like, like you said, composure is definitely one of the biggest ones, especially on a disc golf course, how they compose themselves after a round, before the round, during the round. I think those are all incredible takes from it. Um, and I think there are players who struggle with certain areas of that. And I think there are players who really excel at it. So Nick, I didn't want to give any names, but do you know <laughs> in the top 20, I, uh, what I mean, percentage I'll, I'll give, what percentage do you think name. are, is there a percentage? If you had to say out of the top 20, I'm going to give a number, like I'm just going to literally pick a hat out just based off how I'm feeling seven players that aren't treating as professionally as they could. That's just my feeling in the top 20 level, even. And I'm not, uh, nobody specific yeah. comes to mind. I don't, I don't think there's that many. I don't think there's really anyone. I like, there's not a player in the top 20 who I think doesn't treat it professionally at all. Like they I'm have not saying great not at parts all. of their charismatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have great parts of their professionalism, but there might be one poor part. Like I, you know, and I'll, I'll bring him up. Nothing against him. I think he's a phenomenal player and I'd love to have him on the show soon. Cause we've tried, but Matty Orham, I hate the sweatpants that he wears during the rounds, especially when he's on coverage. That's just, but that's a personal thing to me. He might play better in sweatpants, but I think they look unprofessional. And I think there's a pretty large majority of people who would agree with me. And there's obviously going to be people who disagree with me in that, but I'm not a fan of uh, like, look what you do in your practice rounds and everything (laughs) like that by all means. But I think if you are that big of a professional, uh, especially someone who is in, you know, obviously he won a tournament. He got second place at a national tour. Those are chances of, say he gets an ace on camera with Joe Mespro filming at the national tour. Okay, more than likely, because it's a national tour, that coverage is going to flip over to ESPN and maybe SportsCenter and jump on the top 10 or whatever. SportsCenter's casters are going to look at it and they're going to see three people potentially who are wearing incredible clothing and looking like, hey, this isn't just Frisbee golf anymore. This isn't just throwing discs in the woods. This is a national tour event. And then you're going to see the guy who threw it in a pair of sweatpants. And you're going to kind of lose all, potentially, not everyone, you're potentially going to lose all your kind of like, oh, well, I guess it's still just players going out and playing in the woods. I equate it to, because there's so many similarities between us and golf, I equate it to, look, I don't see at any of the majors that they're playing any players wearing sweatpants or non nice looking shirts. I know there are different styles of shirts rather than polos, like what Tiger wears. I don't know exactly what you call those, but um yeah, I just I just think dressing professionally is like one of my biggest things. And I want to be very clear. I I might come off as a negative person. <laughs> but I I didn't actually have anybody in my mind. I just thought the topic was warranted in a general sense the sport being where yep. it's at the continued growth, the explosion, ESPN, everything. And just to go and say, oh, some of the illustrations you just gave are perfect examples where I'm not here to pick on anybody. The chat room is now starting to be like, this guy doesn't professional. This guy, I'm like, that's not. Yeah, yeah, let's let's not start calling everyone out because we all have different opinions on what we think is professional. Exactly. Obviously, the PDGA it doesn't require you to wear golf pants during a national tour event. So you know what? All the power to Matt Orm at the moment to go out and wear what he feels is comfortable. And there are, there are many other players. I'm not just singling out Matt. Matt's the, the only reason I said his name is because recently he was on coverage and I noticed it. it, it no, but it, it's a, it's a fair point. And, and as you said, everybody has a different perspective on that. And in fact, 
my perspective is probably different than yours. Um, I might not feel as strongly about sweatpants, yeah. but like the way the individual treats it. So if, and I'm not going to say a name again, because I'm not here to do that. But if this player who dresses a certain way or acts a certain way, if he is owning it, believing that he is being the best professional he can be, then I'm pretty cool with it. Like, I just want our pro athletes in this sport to take it so seriously that I use the word oozes, professionalism. Um, Tiger Woods, you know, I'm just saying like, you don't have to be the best. And I think we have examples of that as well. Players in our sport who are not the best, but show like dress really well. Again, Ben Calloway. That was a great, he showed up on coverage. There he was. Uh, Some other names that are getting shot out, you know, uh, on the FPO side, there are names as well. Um, Just treat the sport at the high level. And we're seeing it trickle down into the AM side now, which is great. Mm -hmm. You were part of that, Nick. You were, you were part of that. Yeah, I was. And I, I mean, I think one big thing I've, even for local tournaments, I've noticed people dressing way better. And to me, that's a really cool feeling. I've always been one to, in a sense, dress to impress and look good, feel good, play good kind of style. And it's really cool to see people actually start taking that kind of seriously, even at local C tiers. Um, and at the same time, golf clothing is wicked comfortable. Like I'm wearing a pair of golf shorts right now. And like, I just I love it. wearing golf clothing because of how comfortable <laughs> it is. And uh, yeah, that's just my take on it, I guess. I, I think s- one other thing to talk about professionalism is also using their respected platform to better the world. And my phone died, so I don't have this in our nets, like our topics list. You're going to the next one. Into you are. Paul, Mc- Paul Macbeth doing the Paul Macbeth Foundation, Garrett Gerthy doing the Garrett Gerthy Children's Foundation with the double craft uh, jerking. Very professional. Like that. So that is such a huge thing. And I know like LeBron James has done so many different things and there are just players, Kobe Bryant, they've all done these amazing things with the platform that they have. And just talking to the disc golf side of it, I love what Paul and Garrett are doing. And I love that Paul had just recently announced with Jomez and dynamic discs and everyone like that, that they're actually going to Mexico. Don't remember the exact city, Matt, you still have that. Yeah. Let me, let me, um, I'll let you take it. Yeah. As we move on to that topic, Literally, just to wrap up the other one completely, uh, someone said we should do like a black tie and a dress round. And the funny thing is, I actually saw Eric Oakley and Tina Oakley um, on Nantucket the day after their wedding. So long story short, I was on Nantucket playing the Nantucket Open, and he played in his tux, and she played in her wedding dress. So I've seen it. That doesn't necessarily mean most professional. (laughs) But so there was that. And um Anyways, and I was saying, uh, you said you're wearing golf pants and Skype makes it so I talk over you all the time, but I said, prove it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> kidding. I, can, I can show you really quick. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Nice. Oh, man. Uh, nice oh, pair of white pants. <laughs> okay. Someone was like, no, he's definitely not. Remember big germ calling? <laughs> not wearing pants oh, i was i was gonna make a joke earlier i was like either i'm wearing pants or not like we did with the foundation podcast um with the grip lock guys we did our little you know we were wearing suit ties and everything like that and we were joking around because like hunter he didn't have a shirt tucked in i'm over here and i didn't have like a shirt tucked in or i was wearing my white shoes with nice pants and everything like that so only our top halves you know looks good everything else was just 
major casual. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so you let into the next topic. Yeah, Yeah. you let into the next topic, and uh, yeah, it's La Paz. If I'm saying that correctly, like L.A., like La Paz, like Los Angeles, La Paz, probably more like that. Um, and I had to do a little Google Maps on this. You know where it is? It's on the very, very tip of the California like peninsula. So it's like the very tip of the California peninsula. So like mm-hmm. it's down farther than you can go, like as far as you can go in Mexico, but on that peninsula over there, yeah. I, I, you can tell I'm really good at geography when I say over there, <laughs> Yeah, but somewhere out West, <laughs> Paul had talked about being able to, and I saw, you know, on his foundation page, being able to reconnect a little bit with his heritage that he hasn't really been able to, or hasn't done. So that's cool for him. And he's going to be giving back through his foundation to have people in that location have an opportunity to play disc golf. Do we all think it's great? Disc golf is great. What are the benefits of it? Fun, companionship, camaraderie, competition, trying to better yourself. It's, it's pretty cool. So you're not wrong. That's true professionalism. I think to give back in that way. So, um, here's the next topic. Casey white. Mm-hmm. All right. He gets his whole, he gets his own topic. Uh, so here it is, Nick. At what point do we consider Casey white to be a top 20 or even top 10 player slash performer on tour? At what point do we start doing that? Because here's his stats. These are the last four events, fifth place, 10th place, eighth place, sixth place. And here's his ratings averages, 1,044, 1,031, 1,036, 1,035 averages. His rating is top 100 in the world, but when do we consider him, Nick, as a top 20 or top 10 performer on tour? Like four events? How many events do we have to go before we say, yeah? I mean, to be honest, right now, okay. listing off those last four events, you can consider him a top 10 player. I mean, just straight up um, by how he's played wow. in these events. And, That's massive. Well, no, no, no I'm saying... I'm saying that's that's how we're looking at this event. You know, for the last four of them, I know. he's averaged in the top 10. And so going into the next event, I would put money saying he will get top 10. I don't know if he's playing Harmony Benz. Or I don't know if he's playing DDO. But, I mean, he's showing that he can compete in the woods. He's showing that he can compete on moderately wooded courses. And he's showing that he can compete on somewhat more open fairways, upshots. You saw it on coverage. He's a great putter. He's got good backhand, good forehand. You can sometimes say they're great and he's putting it all together right now. So I think definitely I would say he's absolutely a top 20 player at the moment. I think after Waco, he's definitely proven that top 10. He's obviously been finishing in the top 10. Is he going to do it? I would say I would put my money on the next event. He will get top 10 again, but there's also this which event at the moment, which event are you talking about? I don't know if he's playing. Is he playing Harmony Benz? I'm not sure. Oh my, yeah, my I phone died, so I can't. You just, really you just mean in general, whatever the next event is, like. No, no, no. I'm saying like Mid America Open. If he's playing that, I would, you know, I don't really know the courses too well, but. I'm gonna punch in his me. name here, and uh, I'll tell you. But like, so. Okay. What, so, so, yeah. well, this is to kind of finish up my point right there. He's averaging top ten in the last four events, but Casey's still at a point in his career to where, like, he missed cash at Waco there still is a possibility that Casey misses cash at an event and at the next event. So top 20, I would say, yeah, he's definitely filling into that spot right now, but he's still at a point to where 
potentially he might not be. You know, he he's kind of teetering on that spot right now. Is it so? Uh, yeah, is it tough. just like I don't know the right wording here? Is it a bubble? Did he find this bubble and he's just in it right now and it's gonna pop? And it's like I'm not gonna say another name that's happened on tour. But like, is it, <laughs> is, is he in this yeah. bubble? Is it going to pop or is he here to stay? And that's kind of where this question came from. Top 20, top 10. At what point do we start counting him? Now, yeah. this is way too early, but at what point, yes. Nick, do we start counting him into like the Kevin Jones and I'm trying to think other players, like he's outperforming well-established names. But like at what point do you put him in that? Like, Hey, I think he's a top 10 player. It's not yet. I think when we consistently see it for more than just five events, let's say six okay? events. So when we see it, like <laughs> if, if I look at Casey at the end of the 2021 season and I take all of his averages, put them together and everything like that is looks like in it's in a positive direction, you know, then there's a potential that I put him in my top 20. But like I said, I think he's still at a point right now to where he has more of a potential to kind of like fall off the leaderboard than to solidly climb up the leaderboard in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think even like disc golf's weird. Players are either playing great or they're playing bad. Like Kevin Jones, obviously, no, he's, you know, won the pro tour championships. He's won pro tour events, but he's had a lackluster season so far. He's missed cash at a couple events, but then he comes out and shoots a fourth place finish because we know Kevin is that good of a player. You know, he's someone that I put in my top 20 right now. I don't really know if I put him in my top 10 kind of thinking of players off the top of my head. But with Casey, I'm stoked to see how he's playing right now. I'm not putting him in my top 20 in the world yet. But there is a big potential that he can jump up into that spot. You know what I mean? He is rated, to put this out there, top 100 in the world by player rating. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just go out and say any sport in the world, I don't care what it is, top 100 is incredible. That's an achievement. Um, I think you're, I don't think it's six events, seven events. I think we start going into when you start getting towards the latter half of the year, if he's still performing yeah. in that top, if he's in top 10, you can consider him that if he's in top 20 throughout the rest of the year. Then you consider him that I think by the end of the year, last three events, we'll be able to say, yeah, uh, we expect this from here on out because he's demonstrated yeah. it. So. Yeah, like we we obviously to kind of like put where our players at, we need to see them play their full season. And I think one of the biggest examples of it is Ezra at Vegas. Absolutely dominated, got second place and just showed that like, holy crap, this kid's here to stay. But then hasn't really been following it up since. And so right now, like, where do I put Ezra in the top 10, the top 20? Obviously, I know the dude's super explosive. He's an incredible player, got a great backhand, forehand, solid putter. But he's not playing well right now. So... Someone brought up a great name, Kyle Klein, for instance, um, thanks to the Kyle chat Klein. room. Yeah. He, last year, and this mm -hmm. was obviously, it's called, what is, Paul has said this before, Macbeth, uh, recency bias. Remember, Kyle, towards the end of the year, was really performing yeah. really well to where I think recency bias told us, oh, man, he's for sure a top 20 player, if not top 10. Yeah. But the reality is, I guess not. Um. But is the potential there? That's not the question. The question is not, is the potential there? No, 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 exactly. The question is kind of like, is he at that point right now? My answer is no. Right. Let's talk about it again 
on episode 65. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, I, I'm again, we do have ties to Casey here, but he totally deserved this topic. So congrats to yeah. him for even oh, absolutely. making it here. I was stoked. I, I, I said it last week. I said, I'm really curious to see how Casey plays at this course, obviously with a little bit of a heater that he's on right now. And he absolutely fulfilled my expectations of it. And some, I mean, to see him on the coverage, to see him shooting the same as all these incredible players in the world, you know, it's a cool feeling. He would have been lead card if it wasn't for his older PDGA number or not older, mm -hmm. newer PDGA number. Newer, like, it, yeah. It's higher. Yeah. However you want to say it. So it's like, man, good, good job for him. All right. Moving on. Mm -hmm. Final topic of the night. Mental game. So we talked about professionalism. This is also a part of a player's uh, performance is the mental game. How we talked to Brian Earhart about this. How important is the mental game? What is the mental game? But here's, here's what I'm curious to know, and, and I'll tell you why this came up. It stemmed my thoughts thinking down this road. Um, Paige Pierce, number one. And I'm going to say the other five-time world champion, Paul Macbeth. Mm -hmm. We are seeing, and to be very clear, and I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to preface this. I'm not saying anybody's washed up, I'm not saying they can't win. I'm not saying they're not performing well. I'm going to say this, they're not winning. That's, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say they're not winning, which some can say, well, that's, if you're top five, you're still excellent. I agree with that. Top 10, you're still excellent. But why aren't they winning? And that's why this question came up. Mental game. I think mental game is that like icing on the cake. It's the very top of you're so good. You're so talented. If you want to win, you want to beat Ricky Wysocki, you have to be able to perform at your highest level, plus your mental game has to be 100% focused. Like, mm -hmm. it, like, right on. I don't think I've ever played around like that, Nick. 100% focused. Like, you can't be off. And I think, and am I, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, or, or at least your opinion on this. Paul Macbeth Foundation. I know he has people managing that. But it is taking his mind. It is taking some of his time. Um, Foundation Disc Golf. He owns a business. Now, is he, he has people working that. So I know it's not him directly. Um, mm -hmm. And then he, so again, the foundation, uh, <laughs> there's so many foundations. Paul Macbeth Foundation yeah, and right. Foundation Disc Golf. Yeah. And I don't know what else he's got going on in his life. Signs a big deal. Obviously, like, all I'm trying to say is if you're off by just even a notch, like the mental game is thinking of something else when it could have been thinking about prepping. Do you think that matters to, for the win in, a, in today's competition at the top pro level? Do you think it matters just that little tick of mental capacity? Yeah. And I, I think it affects different players in different ways. Obviously. I mean, obviously Paige came out with a post saying, you know, she's thinking about the future. She's thinking about a ton of other things and mentally that's, hurting her disc golf game because she's not fully focused on it. And I think you might be able to say the same thing at Paul. The only reason that I'm kind of like hesitant to say that is because he's proven in the past to where like he might have a bad season, but he'll come back strong and like he'll come back playing great. And it might just be, you know, hey, it's an off season kind of thing. But yeah, I definitely think, you know, with all the different stuff that Paul has going on in his life, that definitely takes time out of his day. It takes time out of his practice round. It takes, you know, if you feel like, during a practice round, you're on your phone a lot in the sense of he's got things going on. He's got this, you know, course getting set up in Mexico. He's got to figure out all the travel plans for that. 
yeah, I definitely think it could be mentally draining. You may not be taking practice as serious. You may not be, you know, practice putting at the RV kind of thing. So, yeah, I think most definitely it can affect players. I think it could be affecting both of them, no doubt about it. I mean, it could be affecting him that he's got one of his friends living in his basement right now. I got no idea, but <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think like, there's a ton of different. I like yeah. that. You threw yourself under the bus, but exactly. I would like, even I, say I think there's a ton of different things. I use them as an example, but the conversation is much bigger than that. I guess I'm even saying to win an event at this point in the, the history of disc golf, do you have to be nearly, if not perfect, 100% on with your skills as well as your mental game? Because if your skills are at the top top as you can be, but your mental game is off, is that the difference between someone else's being at the top? Again, Paul McBeth versus Ricky. I feel like if they're both playing their absolute best with the absolute best mental game they can have, I don't know who I pick. I feel like the advantage goes to whoever can have the stronger mental game. If they're both playing as best as they can physically, it's yeah. It, it's just where we're at. You can't just have lackluster performances anymore. And I'm, I'm no, not. That's, and, that, and that's an incredible thing. You have to play your absolute best to beat everyone right now. Like you, you have to play incredible to win, whether it's in the MPO division or the FPO division. And I really like that because it's not just, you know, Paul is obviously this, you know, tied for the highest rated player in the world. He's obviously playing great disc golf, but Ricky's just playing better, much better disc golf right now. And he's coming away with those wins in a higher fashion. And that's, you know, Paul's not doing awful rounds. Like, yeah, he had a bad last round at Jones, bro, but he's not consistently playing bad rounds. Mm. Like Ricky is just playing incredible disc golf right now. And there are other players who are playing great disc golf, but Ricky at the moment is just playing great. And I think the only person kind of in second place to that at the moment is Calvin, who's also playing great disc golf, but has a couple things not going his way right now. And that's definitely on the putting green. So, right. He might have, he might have a tremendous mental game. Maybe he doesn't yeah. have a care in the world. That can't be true. He's a person. He has a care in the world, but maybe yeah. he's able to set that aside while he does his work on the course. Maybe he's excellent at that. It seems like he is, but maybe his putting's off. And I'm just saying like, yeah. It's so incredible at this point in the history of our sport. We're actually to this place where you do have to perform almost perfectly at both. Ricky Wysocki, zero bogeys, zero yeah, out of second. bounds, only birdies. Like that's the only way you can do that is both mental and physical. Yeah. So I think a lot of that comes from the mentality of right now. Ricky's got all the confidence in the world at the moment. You know, he's playing incredible disc golf within the six weeks of him playing these last tournaments. He won three of them. His putting percentage is phenomenal. Obviously the OB rate and the bogey rate that he had at Jonesboro was absolute zero. So confidence and mentality, Ricky's just on a high compared to everyone else. I think if someone else was to get to that level of confidence and level of mentality that Ricky has, they'd be giving him a run for his money. But at the moment, Ricky's just, he's, He's there, you know, he's where he needs to be, especially after coming his 2020 season, I don't think was incredible. It wasn't, you know, in his sense, he didn't have a lot of wins. Um, but now this season, he's, he's playing strong. I, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a sports talk guy. I'm speculating. I want to be very clear. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> like it's, 
I'm just observing what I believe is you have to be at the top in both. And I, I don't need to keep repeating myself on that. And I think it's really cool to see what people are doing there. Um, mm-hmm. We've made it to the end of the show, Nick. I do want to just close out by saying the mental game at the first round of MVP. I saw some people in the chat tonight uh, just saying you have to talk about MVP Amside. The first yeah. round of MP. I showed a video. If you go back to the beginning, guys, you can see it. I showed a video of the snow and the grass <laughs> between the two days. Mental game had to be very strong. And that's probably another reason this came up for me. Nick, have you ever played on a card in a tournament where the mood and the vibe was just like not good? Like people were upset. Mm-hmm. Everything was negative. How did you play? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are times where... I've played bad and I was one of those people frustrated. Um, and then there are times where even though someone else is playing, I can bring up a great, great time with it in 2019, the David Stidham Memorial tournament. There was a guy on my card who second round was not having a great time, but I was just out there playing disc golf and getting birdies and everything like that. And I ended up winning the tournament. So I think there are times where I don't think other people really affect me. It's, pretty much my own self. Like I'm the only one to really blame the only time this affects me. Actually, I think that same (laughs) year I was playing on a card with someone who like took forever to play. I'm a pretty quick player. I play with a lot of players who are pretty quick. Like I kind of step up, think about my shot, think about the wind. I'm pretty quick. I don't like to overthink things. And I think there are times where, yes, I should take a little bit more time. I think that will help. Um, But there was a dude on my card years ago who was taking the full 30 seconds, if not more. And I remember the first seven holes of the tournament on our card. I was either first to tee off or second to tee off. And he was always behind me, but then he got a birdie when I got a par and then it just downward spiraled from there. And it was kind of like, you think he's about to putt and then he, you know, pump fakes you and you're kind of just like, all right, dude, like, come on, let's play some disc golf. Like we're holding everyone up. I remember that affected me back then, but I don't think that would affect me as much. Now I kind of just, I'm really focused on myself at the moment when it comes to playing disc golf. And if anything, I'm going to mentally hurt myself by getting frustrated to myself. So I got to work on that a little bit, but yeah, I think from my perspective, what I was coming at with that question was I played, and this is going back guys, it's going back a little ways, 2011 and worlds 10 years ago. And I was able to, in my pool, I should be clear about that. I was like in the the B pool. There's like A, B, and C. There's enough players to go around. Um, In the B pool, I was able to play the hot round that day because, and I attribute it to, yeah, I had to throw the shots. But Mm -hmm. I attribute it to being able to have a card where we were all laughing, lighthearted, meaning like leading up to the shots, then we were serious. But like, it was just a very good vibe. And it just helps yeah. your mental your mental place, especially as an amateur. I'm talking, you know, at the pro level, they have to do their own things. But even Katrina. Remember when we had, and I'm going to go back to the Katrina talk. Remember when we had Dave Felberg on and he talked about two different ways to have a mental game? He said, you can either be like, I think it was Ken, Ken Climo, and uh-huh. only think about your shot when you're throwing your shot. Otherwise, don't yep. think about it until you're there. Then you have people who are like, I'm just going to be super serious the whole time, not talk the whole time, every minute of the round until like, till it's over. Well, Katrina actually just said the other day, she's trying hard not to think about her shot until she, she gets to her shot. She's trying until to she be... she gets up to the shot. Yeah. 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 And I, I really like that. I've heard, 
I heard Dave Felberg say that actually before he was even on our podcast talking about his mental game way back in the day. And he's like, mentally, he was just drained at the end of a round. Physically, he was tired. And Ken Klein was like, well, what do you think about during the round? And Dave was like, thinking about disc golf, thinking about the shots, thinking about the shot that just happened, thinking about the putt that I missed. And Ken's like, well, that's the difference between you and me. Because Kenny's like, look, if something bad happens, it happened. It's done. I can't, I can't change the past. But I can look forward to the future in the sense of I don't have to think about my next shot the second after I throw my shot that just happened. You know, you wait till you get up to the shot because on the tee pad, you might think, oh, yeah, I'm parked. I'm probably only five feet away. And then you get up there and you're 25 feet. And it's like, oh, now I got to make a 25 footer when, you know, I totally thought I was parked. And then your mentality is like, well, now I really need to make this. And yeah, I think especially for lower level pros and, you know, people who are really trying to make it out on tour. If your mental game is strong, you are obviously going to succeed very well because I think one of the biggest struggles for players on tour right now is whether or not they are cashing. Like, and this is some players, not all of them, uh, but whether or not they are cashing at certain events. Uh, If you don't have sponsors fully backing you, getting from event to event, it's a stressful world of like, man, that $350 for last cash or $400 for last cash, like that's, that's helping out a lot actually. I mean, take it from me, for Vegas, Vegas is an expensive trip as it is. Getting that extra $400 at the end of the week was like a huge confidence booster. And like, hey, that that really helped me out for what, you know, kind of went on for the weekend kind of thing. Remember we said that about Haley when she won 20 grand. We said yeah. this could really be something where you're able to take that mental portion of your travel and mm-hmm. lifestyle and get rid of that stress. So where now you can focus just like with Adam Hammes that we had on the show. Yeah. I'm able to tour around in an RV that someone else is driving. Like I, the mental game is so large and it takes part of like Haley King. She had stuff going on off the course that she was trying to, she told us trying to forget about and work on to not bring it onto the course. Like Mm -hmm. mental game is so huge. That I yeah. feel like even when you're on the course, like trying like to have a good mental game, that's part of the problem is like you're trying. You're like, OK, don't think that like you somehow have to work on this. Yeah. And we should have Seth Muncy on. He was pretty good about that, too. It was. Yeah, we should have Seth Muncy on Brian Earhart, Dave Felber, <laughs> Katrina I'm Allen. Just talking about the mental. Yeah. Who do we think has the best parts or like who's struggling to improve their mental game? Yeah. Have a round cir- like a, a round session. table, a round table where it's like, yeah, you have to work on this off the course. So that way, when you're on the course, you're not working on it. It's, anyways, yeah. that's my take on it. One of the one of the and I'll kind of cap off my final thoughts on this is one of my favorite things that Seth Muncy has said to me and even said it to me at Waco again was last year. I was super frustrated with how I played disc golf, but I wasn't able to practice disc golf a lot. I wasn't able to play a ton of tournaments because of COVID and everything like that. And it was just a mentally frustrating year. And so when I would go out to an event and play bad, he was like, pretty much, dude, you don't have a right. Like. Are you out there practicing every single day? Are you practicing for eight hours a day? He's like, you don't have a right to get that mad at yourself. You can be a little annoyed that you're not playing great or you're not playing as well as you did last year. But at the same time, if I'm not putting in the effort that I did in 2019 as I did in 2020, like obviously I'm going to have a crap year. So that was awesome just in the sense of if you're not out there practicing and grinding and everything like that, you don't really have a right to, you know, if you shoot below your rating, you know, it sucks. But like that was bound to happen. But players who are out there grinding every single day, 
they kind of have that right to be frustrated when potentially things aren't going their way. But anyways, mental game. Yeah. It's super tough to learn how to do it well and kind of have a positive mindset going through everything. Cause there's obviously there's struggles in the real life outside of disc golf. There are obviously struggles. You might have something going on personally with your family, friends, whatever, but sometimes everything's just clicking. And I feel like that's where your mental game is going to be at its highest. For sure. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about a whole bunch of things. I have my own mental yeah, game right. going on right now, trying to produce a show, yeah. talk about a show, a million things. Yep. So, um, Nick, we have the events coming up, uh, Mid America Open. It's not like it's not that huge of a thing where we're like, oh, it's like we're super excited about it, but it is an event. And then um, after that, a big event, the DDO, formerly GBO, Glass Blown Open, now Dynamic Disc Open, humongous event. Yep. Two courses. I love that name, Glass Blown Open. Yeah, too bad. I, I know the marketing yeah, thing, but it is what it is. All right, uh, let's close this out, Nick. We're, we're at the end of the cool. show. Well, I guess I'll say it one more time. Please, everyone, go on foundationdisc.com. You can actually get the new Nick and Matt show hats. Mm. They come in white, black, and navy blue. They're super comfortable. They're you know just a mesh back, snap back. Um, I love wearing it. I'm wearing it every day out in the course now. Also, they have Nick and Matt show shirts. So if you want these massive characteristics of Matt and I, you can go on, check it out, <laughs> foundationdisc.com. But um, anyways, please go on, like, subscribe, comment, turn on the post notifications, check out whenever we are going live, 7 p.m. every single Monday. And uh, check out all the favorite podcast platforms. We're on all of those. Tell someone you love them this week, and we'll catch you in the next one. That's right, Nick. You're awesome. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.